Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, and welcome to Mark My Words. This is Mark Homer. Today, I'm going to give some reaction on three news stories, uh, which are very current. This is mainly a reflection on the economic impacts of these news stories. Um, so let's get started. So the first story is about the weakness in our pound sterling, which is currently at its lowest level since 2020. Uh, and apparently, stagflation is on the horizon. Um, stagflation is where you have um, uh, low growth, low GDP growth and high inflation. Sterling has dipped below $1.35 um, for the first time since January. And it, it kept falling on Wednesday last week as it extended a slide in a week um, dominated by supply crisis headlines. We had the fuel crisis and the pictures of people queuing at the pumps. We had lots to talk about not having enough delivery drivers and therefore uh, materials and food and other things which HGV drivers deliver um, not being in plentiful supply. I know on site with materials, we're getting them, but they're certainly more expensive than they were. Um, and this is probably due to a combination of um, reduced new HGV drivers, drivers coming on because they haven't been doing as many tests because they haven't been able to social distance on the test during the pandemic. Huge bad backlogs at the DVLA. Some people are, are blaming Brexit, i.e. less foreign truck drivers coming over. And then there's the increased demand because of pandemic, people having lots of cash, factories being closed. So there's a, a bit of a double bubble with containers and, and, and raw materials being in the, in the wrong place. So this is pushing inflation higher. The Bank of England still believes that this is a, a temporary thing with lower supply, lower stocks, and demand being as it is, this is clearly going to increase prices. However, as supply chains spool back up again, factories get rolling um, and demand starts to get back to normal levels, the Bank of England expects inflation to drop back to the 2% target. However, I would say that the markets are unconvinced. <clears throat> Clearly, the strength of sterling dials into all of these things quite closely. However, another big shift this week has been interest rate expectations, certainly over the medium term, um, where the market believes that rates are likely to head higher to counter this increased inflation. You would have thought that that would strengthen sterling, having increased interest rates generally would increase the um, value of a currency. Um, so in the medium term, everything else being equal, you would imagine that sterling may start to rise. But of course, this is the relationship of sterling against the US dollar. So it's the relationship of our interest rates against American interest rates and everything else going into the big pot and, and sort of being melted down. Clearly, oil prices, natural gas prices are rising. Um, all these sort of global factors coming together um, doesn't help. Uh, and again, are pushing inflation higher. Uh, but again, if that's happening in the US, um, then the relationship between sterling and the dollar isn't going to 
um, change with everything else being equal. The Bank of England have said that they will react earlier to increase interest rates should the need arise. The market believes that that probably means that interest rates are going to start rising in the second half of next year, um, which should have a tempering effect on inflation. Consumer credit has ticked up ever so slightly, but the level of um, such lending overall remains 2.4% lower than it was a year ago. Um, but data from the British Retail Consortium showed that um, in the last two years, while shop prices have been falling, this looks set to end in the coming months as inflationary pressures, particularly in raw materials, uh, and the prices that shops are paying for their goods starts to take their toll. Clearly, recently, wage inflation is at a higher level um, than it has been for quite a few years. Uh, and this, more than any price changes, is likely to spike the interest of the Bank of England, certainly when deciding when and how much they're going to increase interest rates by. Alongside that, the US Federal Reserve have also signalled that they're closer to pulling the trigger on a move away from very low interest rates and also their quantitative easing purchasing programme will start to get wound down earlier. All of this has meant that bond yields have started to go up as the value of bonds reduces. Um, government borrowing is becoming a little bit more expensive as the market expects interest rates to, to rise over the medium term. So these sort of fears of stagflation, inflation with sort of low growth are, are starting to increase in the minds of traders on the financial markets. Um, and this could have a, a more significant effect in the medium to long term. So a question we've had from one of our listeners is, is it a good time to buy sterling? And my immediate response is buying any currency or, or, or equities, bonds or commodities, uh, and expecting to be able to predict the price change um, of that instrument in the short term is pretty much impossible. You could probably say that on if you look back through history, um, on a long-term basis, sterling is relatively weak. Um, you know, it, it got high, as high as about two to the dollar. I remember, I think it was 2006 I went over there. Uh, and now we're maybe back to about 1.37. So the average person might assume that it, it, sterling is relatively weak if you look uh, to its sort of long-term averages. Um, however, I would definitely say in the, in the short to medium term, it's very, very hard to predict. Ever since I've been in, in business, I haven't seen certainly raw material and building material prices change at the rate they have done in such a short period. Clearly opening up after a pandemic, after factories have been shut and supply lines have been shut down, things are going to be weird. Things are going to suddenly uh, change very quickly. Um, but I can't remember a time like this where we had such big price changes um, so quickly. Um, if you talk to um, some of the older uh, business people around us, they, they would remind you of what happened in the 70s with oil um, as the price went up much, much quicker. Clearly, energy prices like oil and gas feed into other prices. Uh, and we had very, very high inflation and they had to increase interest rates to control it. Now, the Bank of England say this time it's different. 
but it is concerning seeing these commodities and raw material prices increase because it does then feed into the prices of, of finished products and, of course, has pressure on wages and, and wage inflation. So we're now at the end of the job retention scheme or furlough as it is more commonly known. Um, the end of September, uh, companies lost the option to leave um, staff on furlough. Lots said it was the waiting room to redundancy. Um, lots of business people that I know, including myself, uh, a few months ago, certainly the beginning of this year, felt that um, those on furlough were going to be lose their jobs at the end of the period and there was going to be huge unemployment. In fact, I heard uh, one friends say that unemployment was going to 10%. Well, it hasn't happened yet. And certainly the the jungle drums are are not uh, signaling uh, a change in unemployment uh, to that extent. Um, Maybe we go to, I don't know, 5% unemployment, something like that. But certainly the pressure seems to have abated. And the job retention scheme, um, I think, is, is, is widely viewed as a success. Um, the Chancellor's initial objective with it was to match, to, to reintroduce um, workers into the economy um, to, to, to match demand. And clearly demand has gone up significantly. Uh, there aren't enough um, employees in several sectors, but especially in hospitality. Um, Brexit m- maybe has had an effect as well because, um, A, Lots of uh, Europeans, Eastern Europeans, have gone home during the pandemic. Uh, and because of Brexit, I, I assume lots of new ones aren't coming over to replace them. Um, so clearly, um, the furlough scheme ends. Uh, more people are going to go into these jobs, which um, or these vacancies, which have, have now been created. The government says that the furlough scheme has supported 11.6 million jobs. Um, from March 20 to the end of um, September 21, the cost of furlough will come to 66 billion, which is quite staggering, according to estimates from the Office for Budget Responsibility. Uh, it's about one fifth of the money that the government have spent uh, have spent um, as a response to COVID. So, a question that we had from another one of our listeners um, was: Was the furlough scheme a good thing? Well, this is a, a hugely complex question. Obviously, it cost over sixty billion, um, and I suppose from a, a sort of uh, economics, uh, a sort of cold uh, viewpoint, you, you you may say, well, you know, how many jobs did it actually save? How much money did it save the economy? Uh, how much did it save in um, you know unemployment benefit, and then all the secondary effects from having high unemployment? And and of course, there is a, a social element there. Um, there also because you know people are unemployed. So I don't have those numbers. I don't. I, I don't know exactly where unemployment would have gone. I don't think the Treasurer or the Bank of England do either. Um, but clearly, it did avoid mass unemployment, which has to be a good thing. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, uh, the the reduced uh, amount of benefits and, and increased taxes in the form of income tax and various other personal taxes. Uh, that have flowed um, from having lower unemployment um, might mean that it's paid for itself. Clearly, there are lots of groups that now believe that furlough uh, should be a a sort of standard issue, uh, go-to 
scheme that that that, that should be available uh, if an industry has a, a problem or maybe there's another recession. Um, I do hope it doesn't become um, some sort of um, standard um, standard thing that 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 people assume should be there. Um, you know, if, if another recession comes along, it was very specific. It was designed to support workers because the government shut down good industries and um, that had a future within the economy. Um, clearly, in the future, if there's a recession um, or an industry doesn't do well, um, I don't know, retail at the moment is being replaced by technology and online. You, you know, some people say, oh, you know. You should put the, the, those people on a furlough scheme. Well, no, because it's an unsustainable industry uh, or unsustainable at the current levels. Uh, and the government, there's a very, very strong argument that the government shouldn't be supporting such activity. So the final story we've got is about China and the financial woes of one of its big property groups, Evergrande. They've borrowed huge sums of money from consumers uh, and used it to plug their revenue. And I guess they've been building... Uh, using this sort of consumer cash, maybe money that other banks, uh, the riskier part of the debt stack that other banks wouldn't fund. Uh, they've probably been using it to, to, to run all their overhead. Um, and I think it, it, it just sends out a signal as to how the Chinese economy um, has been running and, and the fact that the standard regulatory, regulatory controls that are in existence in the West perhaps aren't there uh, and there's you know the, the increased risk that stems from that um, is reflected in the fact that this year there's been a peak to trough ret retreat of about a third or 33 percent in China's stock market um, which is a huge amount um, clearly the government's having a big crackdown they've banned Bitcoin, that in fact they made all cryptocurrency illegal. I think they're having a crackdown against lots and lots of uh, different areas. The owner of Alibaba got put into prison for a period for speaking out against their government. Um, and I just think um, that they are headed in a more authoritarian direction under this president. There's a worry in the marketplace that this crackdown will go even further. The regulatory rollout will continue. Um, property prices could fall off the back of this, which could undermine consumer confidence. Lots and lots of uh, concern around China and the risk that may stem out of that market uh, and the significant economic damage um, that could be done to themselves and to the West because we're slow, so closely linked in terms of the supply chain. We buy a lot of our goods from China uh, and when they sneeze, then sometimes we catch a cold. <clears throat> so a question we've had is, is the Chinese market of interest and do I, interest, do I invest anything over there? I have quite broadly based emerging markets tracker funds, which have some exposure to China. That's normally how I would invest. Um, I don't buy individual Chinese stocks because I don't know enough about their companies. But I think you can quite easily get some exposure within a, an index fund or a tracker fund uh, to China um, or, you know, a wider sort of brick or emerging markets type fund. Hope you've enjoyed that podcast, short and sweet. That has been Mark Homer for Mark My Words. Mark My Words.